Hi, this is Paul. There's a lot going on. This was Christmas weekend, and yesterday was Christmas. We had an 11 o'clock Christmas Eve service in the day uh, because it was Sunday, and a turkey apparently took out the power grid near the church right as I was reaching the climax of the sermon. The sermon was about doom, and everything went down, and everyone in the church just looked at me. <laughs> I'm sure everyone on the live stream was like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? So you can go to the Livingstones church channel and Pete hasn't clipped the sermon. He'll do that probably on Thursday or Friday this week and isolate it. But you can dig up the live stream if you go to the live tab on YouTube and you can see where the sermon ends. Rick said he was going to get back online and say, yeah, lightning struck Pastor Paul right in the middle of the sermon. So, so then yesterday was Christmas and I, I took the day off. Um, enjoyed it with the family, and today we've got Jordan Peterson with a big conversation with Sam Harris that I um, have to get to. A lot of the spicy stuff is in the Daily Wire portion after the YouTube portion. The YouTube portion was really fairly dull, and at some point I'm going to have to talk about that, ser that, that sermon, <laughs> that, that video, because there's a lot of interesting things about it. And not just dunking on Sam Harris, which I did on Twitter, and that tweet blew up. But before that, someone mentioned Jonathan Peugeot and Russell Brand. Now, this is likely on, this is a bootleg copy that's on YouTube. And what happens usually with these bootleg copies on YouTube is that It'll be on for a little while, and then probably Russell Brand's outfit will get it pulled down because I suspect this video was on Rumble. Some of you will know that, and you'll put that in the comment section, so we'll be able to figure that out. It was a I when I first saw it, I thought, "Oh no, Jonathan, what are you doing? <laughs> this could go all sorts of ways bad." But it didn't. It went really well. I've always had this thing with Russell Brand that there are times when he talks that I think he's something of a savant. There are a lot of times when he talks that he sounds like one of these um, um, language engine that just, you know, spills words that are sort of new age, you know, these 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 language engines like ChatGPT. They, they just spill language that, these these algorithms find the way people use words in large bodies of text and then they have probability of the word to follow and and Russell Brand sometimes can just be a large language model and just just he talks that way and other times he'll say something that's really brilliant and other times he'll say stuff that it's like oh I don't think you're really helping the world by talking this way on the internet so anyway Jonathan Peugeot talked to Russell Brand probably via the the Jordan Peterson um, <laughs> Jordan Peterson connection because of course Jordan um, speaks highly of Russell and they talk semi regularly and so and Jordan of course is always singing Jonathan's praises so I have no idea how this came to be maybe Jonathan Russell was watching Jonathan Peugeot. So I'm not going to play any of it because I don't want this video to be pulled down when they pull down the um, the the bootleg copy. But one of the one of the little tricks that I use, I don't know how many of you know that, but if you can make an MP3 of a video, which is fairly easy to do, 
you can upload that using Microsoft Word and get a transcript. And with a little bit of work, you can get a really nice transcript of a conversation. And you can have it in Word so you can search. And it's one way to really process quickly. I don't, I don't find it as memorable for me because audible and visual tends to be more memorable to me than just text. That's just sort of the way I'm wired. But um, there, there were some really interesting, this was a really cool conversation. And so if you haven't watched it and if the bootleg copy is still up, I'll put a link to it, go ahead and watch it. And, um, but one of the most, um, one of the most, oh, hang on, I gotta see what happened with something. So this was about 30 minutes into the recording, timestamp 3118. And of course, Russell Brand was in the news a couple of months ago for, um, basically people were coming after him, trying to get him canceled. Now we have, you know, all, all of these other places on the internet where people who are canceled on major platforms like YouTube can go to continue to do things. And he starts talking about Rick Warren, which I found super interesting. Um, the kind of ego death, um, which has not been without advantage, even though it has also encompassed extraordinary pain and revealed in me the depth of my attachment to other people's impressions, my personal well-being, materialism, ability to, um, who have influence over, you know, all of, um, all of just a list of things. I should actually see what's on YouTube from Brand because this, because they use this for the clip and it might be, might be the part that Brand put on YouTube. Hang on. I just found a little bit that was on Brand's channel, and it was about Snow White. So, so anyway, somebody sent Russell Brand a uh, message by Rick Warren. Someone sent me unbidden a kind of, and perhaps you've heard of Rick Warren, who um, I understand is a sort of Southern evangelical. So Rick Warren was, for a long time, the most successful minister in the Southern Baptist Church. He planted the Saddleback Church. He wrote the crazy best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life, um, enormous, and, and then just recently a fallout with the Southern Baptist Convention because he had a couple of women on staff who were women ministers. Um, but Rick Warren is a very interesting guy. He, he sort of comes off as kind of a Hawaiian shirt-wearing, happy, clappy buffoon, but he really isn't. He's, he's, he's really a very smart guy and had a big impact with, with Saddleback Church. I, I, I went there a couple of times in the 1990s as part of conferences that they were doing to sort of promote their things. And so that was kind of the heyday of the seeker days, but he's, he's, a, he's a very big deal. Um, himself, you know, the purpose-driven life sold so well, he kind of put that in a foundation and it's a very, very interesting guy. But again, and, and again, he was, he prayed for Barack Obama's first inaugural, um, and then got sort of, was not invited back for the second over the gay marriage thing. Um, you know, in, in a sort of a, in a sort of a Christianity, like I think it's hard reading Russell Brand. It sounds so natural when he's saying it. I think of myself as pretty refined, intelligent guy that I wouldn't be getting my Eucharist via like a Southern Christian TV um, where there's like a handsome white couple. Um, on that couch with a Southern evangelist, I watched this. Um, this was a very simple prayer. Oh gosh, I don't know what kind of thing. What's going on with this transcript? Forget everything I said about the transcript. Well, let's just play the darn thing. All right, so if this all gets taken down, this will get taken down too. Let's see what happens. 
you don't have to step in between the gladiators and get killed and become a martyr and then become a saint. But that's actually how you live your life with your children. That's how you live your life with your with your wife, with your friends. You through these acts of self-sacrifice is how you are able to bind reality together. Reality actually binds that way. But what happens in sacred stories is that those are brought to the breaking point. And so what happens like so people will say, well, how can you believe in the resurrection? Right. It's ridiculous. Jesus dies three days later. And it's like, I believe in the resurrection because it's pointing me to something which is true all the time, every day of my life. And so when I hear the extreme case, I think, of course, like that's what it all leads to, or that's where it all originates in. It's like someone dying and then unreasonably lift, being raised up from that state. Right? Not and I, I really like the way Jonathan laid this out here and... This is a, I think, a very interesting argument with respect to the resurrection, which is very different from, like, so let's say, the minimal facts argument. Jonathan is basically making the argument that I've made the argument often with respect to the crucifixion, that the crucifixion is in keeping with the way reality works. Now he's making the argument with respect to the resurrection, that the resurrection is in keeping with the way reality works. Two minutes later, not not like, you know, maybe he was dead, maybe he wasn't. No, he was dead. And then he rises up and you think, well, actually, that's how everything works. That's how my life works. That's how everything that is good about my life functions. And so, and so it's like, the question is, does the world work that way or not? Right? Is the world just like material causes and, and accident and, 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 and chaos? Or is there, is, is this process of, of descent and ascent actually part of how the world is functions and and you can actually find lewis making that argument in his book miracles in the chapter on the grand miracle and in many ways peugeot's argument here is similar to lewis's argument in that book and if so then when i hear the story of the resurrection i think huh it's actually revealing me the pattern of everything so i believe it because without it there's something missing. There's like a key missing. There, there's a puzzle, and I see it in paganism, and I see it in other religions. There are puzzles, but they come together in that one story. So you're saying almost that um, in this sacred truth, there's something truer than material truth, almost like a homeopathic exposure to a distilled version. This is what I mean by Russell Brand sounding like a large language model of that which is true. I noticed too, actually, Jonathan, that if you have a facility for language communication and thought, perhaps that can be a disadvantage in the felt carnal, given that we're talking about incarnation, carnal sense of what it is to live in the experience of God. Uh, lately, as, I'm, as I know you're aware, because we've sort of spoken, I've gone through like some personal challenges that have been very, very painful and have amounted on to some degree to a kind of ego death, which uh, has not been without advantage, even though it has also encompassed extraordinary pain and revealed to me the depth of my attachment to other people's Now, this is a really interesting section for Brand because of course Brand tends to be over on the new age side of things. And there's, in the new age side of things, there's a lot of, sort of Buddhist-y uh, 
Buddhisty ideas about attachment. And so with the hammering that Brand has taken via the media, via, you know, I don't know if he's going to be indicted in the UK for some of this stuff. Who knows what's going to happen? And so he says, okay, this is this is sort of an, an ego death. But then, again, here will come, um, here will come uh, Rick Warren. Impressions, my personal well-being, materialism, ability to have influence over, you know, all of just a list of things that could loosely be described as sinful. I wonder, um, though, you know, that what, what you feel about the sort of simplicity available in Christianity as well as the complexity, because there was a point very recently where I was in a pretty despairing and despondent state and like someone sent me unbidden a kind of and perhaps you've heard of Rick Warren, who I understand is a sort of southern evangelist who like just told like said to camera, you know, in a sort of a TV Christianity. And I, like I like to think of myself as a pretty refined and intelligent guy that I wouldn't be getting my uh, Eucharist via like a southern christian tv where there's yeah 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 watch uh, molly worthen's conversation with justin Brierly on this you know and i i consider myself a new age person i'm enlightened i'm 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 all this up here i'm not like one of those knuckle dragging southern baptist people getting is there like a handsome white couple sat on a couch with a southern evangelist? But I watched this sort of very simple prayer to camera from Rick Warren, where he, you know he talked about his own son took his life, and then he talked about the, the sort of subsequent despair, like despair. Even though by that time Rick Warren had already sold millions of books and been a very successful pastor and this sort of protege of Billy Graham, and he did this prayer where he sort of said like you know. I put aside my need to understand. I don't need to understand how the digestive system works to enjoy a steak or the combustion engine to drive a car. And I just, Jesus, will you please be with me? And like I, in my, like I became, I've become teachable, I guess. Porous is how I sometimes feel it. Uh, sometimes, you know, like in a time of. That is such an interesting word. Makes me think of Charles Taylor and the buffered self. Now, 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 Russell Brand was never very, very buffered to begin with, but feeling porous. Crisis, perhaps in an attempt to get beyond the ego or perhaps in an attempt to cling on to it. I've become, you know, the hucksters and, and charlatans come at me from every angle offering sort of counsel and advice. And like, you know, I could be highly susceptible to any of that stuff. And in this sort of prayer that was just... Jesus, I, I don't need to understand everything, but I, I'm calling on your name. I'm calling on your name for help. I don't want to go on like this. I don't want to go on like this. I need... Definition of a Christian is someone who trusts Jesus more than they trust themselves. Transformation. It was effective. So I wonder what you make of the sort of potential for this to be sort of quite simple and maybe in a sort of an ultra-rational, post-enlightenment, advanced approaching singularity culture are the sort of difficulties of accepting such a sort of um, what sometimes feels like a proposition that has too low an entry threshold. Um. Well, first off, I would say that this is the this is the in some ways the the mystery of suffering. Um, you know, this is also the mystery of a Christ offers is that Christ doesn't 
this is annoying for a lot of people. The idea that Christ doesn't want us to suffer is just not true. The idea that God doesn't want us to suffer is just not true. You know, God wants us to be better. God wants us to be the best version of ourselves. He wants us to be shining images of his glory and his love and whatever it takes, man. And so suffering is, uh, you know, it's a, like you said, it's sometimes a way to see our attachments and to see our passions and to see the things that are our actual gods. Um, even if they're good, even if they're good things in themselves, uh, and they're a call to see through them, to see through our desires towards something else. Because like you said, sometimes it's we're being ripped apart. And so there is nothing to hold on to, right? If you lose the things that you're holding on to, some point you know and this is obviously the this whole the whole image of hitting rock bottom but that doesn't have to be you don't have to be drunk at the bottom of an alley for you to hit rock bottom it can happen in more subtle ways where you can see that these things that i hold on to they are they're superficial compared to what is behind them and what is true and so i'm i, I i'm sorry you know i was sorry to hear about a lot of the things that you've been through it's it's rough uh and I hope, I hope, like I hope that that they will be for you a, a kind of way to to see through everything. Um, but as for the the simplicity, you know, Christianity offers a way in which things scale, and this is one of the things that people struggle to understand sometimes about religion is that the way that Christianity presents itself is that it's as accessible to you know, your great grandmother who couldn't read as it is to the great scholar, you know, that spent his entire life studying theological text. And so there's both a immediate simplicity in that abandon that you describe. And then there's also all the subtlety and all the, you know, all the philosophy that, that the West has to offer. And so it scales, uh, but it scales in a lot of ways, which is that so that's similar to, I just read from A Severe Mercy. Well, I'll just read it again. This is C.S. Lewis come, uh, explaining to Sheldon Van Auken why, after he became a theist, he decided to become a Christian and not a Hindu. In my own position, at the threshold of Christianity was exactly the opposite of yours. I wish it were true. I strongly hoped it was not. At least, that was my conscious wish. You may suspect that I had unconscious wishes of a quite different sort, and that it was these which finally shoved me in. True. But then I may equally suspect that, my, that under your conscious wish that it were true, there lurks a strong unconscious wish that it were not. What this works out is that all of the modern stuff about concealed wishes and wishful thinking, however useful it may be for explaining the origins of an error, which you already know to be an error, is perfectly useless in decided which of the two beliefs is an error and which is, which is to be true. It's a great Lewis logic, basically, recognizing that we have all of this stuff going on underneath. There's a lot more I want to talk about. I'm not going to put it in this video. I'm going to put it in the video that I'll release tomorrow morning. I'm going to release this video probably pretty soon after I make it. And then I'll release the other because, again, of this bootleg section, I don't want it necessarily pulling all of this work down. That's part of the reason I'm a little careful about what I include because you put all of this time into a video and then out it gets ripped by, by the YouTube algorithm. Anyway, 
For A, no one ever knows all one's wishes, and B, in a very big question such as this, even one's conscious wishes are, are nearly always engaged on both sides. What I think one can say with certainty is this, the notion that everyone would like Christianity to be true and that therefore all atheists are brave men who have accepted the defeat of their deepest desires is simply imprudent nonsense. Do you think people like Stalin, Hitler, Haldane, Stapleton, um, a corking good writer by the way, um, would be pleased on waking up one morning to find that they were not their own masters, that they had a master and a judge, that there is nothing even in the deepest recesses of their thoughts about which they could say to him, keep out, private, this is my business, um, this is my business. Their first reaction would, as mine was, rage and terror, and I very much doubt whether even you would find it simply pleasant. Isn't the truth this? that it would gratify some of our desires, the ones we feel, in fact, pretty seldom, and outrage a great many others. So let's wash out all the wish business. It never helped anyone solve any problems yet. I don't agree with your picture of the history of Christianity, Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, and others elaborating an original simplicity. This is in many ways what Russell Brand this perennialism, this sort of spirituality that Russell Brand, that I hear at least in the limited amount of Brand that I've heard from, this is the kind of thing he sort of um, believes. And this is super, super common in the educated West today, that all these religions are manifesting some common simplicity, et cetera, et cetera. Clear, lucid, transparent, simple religion. Tao plus a shadowy, um, Tao plus a shadowy ethical god in the background is a late development, usually arising among highly educated people in great cities. What you really start with is ritual, myth, and mystery: the death and return of Balder or Osiris, or the dances, the initiations, the sacrifice, the divine kings. Now, Bran tends to have these things mixed in there too. I mean, he's he's a pretty chaotic guy. Over against that are the philosophers, Aristotle, Confucius, hardly religious at all. The only two systems in which the, mys the mysteries and the philosophies come together are Hinduism and Christianity. Now, part of what Verveke and others are asking questions is how much mystery and ritual was in Plato and Aristotle. Good question, but it's interesting that those things got sort of washed out. How far along they got washed out, I don't know. Did they get washed out basically because a lot of it was just writing tends to hold the prop part of the reason we 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 are so attached to propositions is they're sticky and manipulable. Um, propositions can be really durable. And so everything else sort of gets washed out and we're sort of left with the words. To a degree, I mean you can find that in 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 the Bible as well especially with things like well what exactly was the sacrificial system in the old Tem in the old testament like i mean so much context is washed away and you're left with the words the only two systems in which mysteries and philosophies come together are hinduism and christianity there you get both metaphysics and cult continuous with primitive cults that is why my first step was to be sure that one or the other of these um, had the answer for the reality can't be what appeals to either only to savages or only to highbrows. So even with this Rick Warren thing that Brand was just talking about, you get, well, I, you know, you have just, just sort of condescending with respect to it. But don't, 
Don't confuse Rick Warren for a fool. You might disagree with some of his strategies, but um, Rick Warren is a very smart man. He, he wouldn't be anywhere near as successful as he was without all of that. Real things aren't like that. Matter, the first most obvious thing you meet, milk, chocolates, apples, and are also, also the object and, and also the object of quantum physics. There's no question of just a crowd of disconnected religions. The choice is between the materialist world picture, which I can't believe, the real archaic primitive religions, which are not moral enough, the claimed fundamental fulfillment of these in Hinduism, the claimed fulfillment of these in Christianity. But the weakness of Hinduism is that it doesn't really join the two strands. And, and what's interesting is that I think a lot of Western New Age tries to join the strands, but I think, again, usually fails, and they wind up with sort of this, this, um, this buffet this buffet religion where, and one of the things that Peugeot does, and this is sort of inverts it, as, as Lewis does, as the classics do, and say, no, Christianity is really the fulfillment of a lot of that stuff, that the patterns are in the world, and people recognize the patterns, and so some of these patterns get built into some other religions, and then finally with Christianity, you might call this revelations, well, now we sort of begin to see the patterns in a proper setting. Unredeemable savage religion goes on in the village, the hermit philosophy is in the forest, and neither really interferes with the other. It's only in Christianity which compels a highbrow like me to partake in a ritual blood feast and often compels a Central African convert to attempt an enlightened universal code of ethics. One of the points that Peterson often makes about suffering, which I think is correct, is that Lewis says a similar thing. Pain is a megaphone, is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Peugeot says a similar thing here. Lewis, or Peterson makes the point that the funny thing with suffering is in some ways it can't be denied. In the Sam Harris conversation. Sam Harris basically makes a Cartesian argument with respect to consciousness. And he says, well, you know, basically consciousness is the one thing I can't deny. And so Sam Harris says that consciousness is fundamental, which is a really, oh, the guy is so inconsistent. I mean, he should be an idealist. He should be over there in um, Bernardo Castrop land. That's really where he should be. But he's a materialist trying to be an idealist, and it's it's just a it's just a mess. But where was I going with this? So it doesn't surprise me that it's almost always in our pain where we just stop playing games and we cry out to Jesus. Truth be told, and, and that should be no credit to ourselves because we're probably crying out to just about anything and everything. And someone like Russell Brand has tried everything and anything. And okay, so let's assume he's he's clean from drugs. He's he's clean from his sexual addictions. Let's assume he's 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 reformed in all those ways. And again, I've seen this again and again in church. People who have worked a 12-step program for decades finally come to church and they say, well, this is really where I need to be because, okay, I don't drink anymore, but I collect screwdrivers and cameras and I overeat and 
and, and it's really at a deeper level that I need an intervention. And it's almost always that suffering, pain is that megaphone which we can't deal with. And Jesus doesn't take the pain away always because usually what we want is for the pain to go away and we'll just be able to live our lives normally. That's exactly what we expect from painkillers that our doctors prescribe. And no. And this is where it sort of connects up with Jonathan Peugeot because, well, you've actually been working against the nature of reality. I think this is, again, I first started noticing this watching Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson because I noticed that Jordan Peterson was bringing in ideas that I saw in the very early Reformation and some of which sort of had been increasingly washed out. And I talked about God number one and God number two. So when Peugeot keeps talking about the pattern of the world, he's talking about that God number one nature, that Jesus Jesus isn't just exceptional and is seen in contrast with the world. Jesus is seen within the patterns of the world, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And you find that in Christian theology all the time. Jesus is the fulfillment of this, and the fulfillment of that, and the fulfillment of this, and the fulfillment of that, and the fulfillment of nature. Now, like I said, I'm going to make a second video. We're going to bring in some other videos that aren't like this. I was originally going to put them all in one video, but again, this thing might get taken down. Now, I hope that Jonathan has the rights to share this conversation on his channel, because then this will all be on the open on the open YouTube, which I hope it is. But it was an excellent conversation, and I think what what I saw in this video was a little bit more clearly how Jonathan's apologetics are working and resolving some of the tensions that arose in modernity and since the Enlightenment. So anyway, so put a pin in it, and I'm going to drop this video today still. That's, that'll come out at a different time, but then this will be out by the time the next video that I'm about to do will drop tomorrow morning. So so if this video gets taken down, at least the rest of it is, and I'll try and sum up a little bit of what I said here to go into the next.